It is uh, strange to me that we are already coming to the end of the summer. I'm not ready for the end of the summer. I am less ready for the beginning of the school year, and yet it is upon us merely a day or two away. And so uh, as we are making that transition uh, as a church from summer to fall ministries and fall schedules and those sorts of things, what we do every, sum- every uh, year is we uh, do a short series. So in the summers, we do the Psalms for summer. And so uh, hopefully several of you have um, enjoyed going through the Psalms this summer. And then in the fall, we will pick up uh, the book of Matthew again, because we have been preaching our way through the book of Matthew, and so we will uh, pick that up about halfway through uh, the book of Matthew. Um, But in between Psalms and Matthew, what we like to do at the beginning of the fall is talk about what is New Life Church about? What makes New Life Church, New Life Church? What are we about? And so we have these little booklets that if you've been through a New to New Life class or been through one of these series before, hopefully you have seen or, or have one of these. If, if you haven't seen this before and, or don't have one, uh, they're on the resource table and you can grab one on your way out. But let me just really quickly give you the overview of this little booklet. The, the beginning is our mission. What, that's what we're about. The centrality of what we're about is our mission. Then our spiritual dynamic, how we feel like the spiritual life works. And then finally, the last section is our vision. And each year, uh, we spend some aspect talking about this. And uh, so this year is our vision, our structure. What makes us unique? What makes us who we are uh, as New Life Church in the way that we are structured? And you'll, if you uh, grab one of these little booklets or have seen this before, there's Four little pictures. And the first shows uh, churches within a church, right? So New Life Church is a multi-site church. We have uh, multiple congregations, one here in Wilsonville, which uh, welcome if you're uh, joining us for the first time this morning. We have one in West Lynn. We actually have two congregations in Gladstone. One is uh, English-speaking and one is uh, Hispanic. And then we are launching uh, one in Oregon City. Uh, this month. We are launching a congregation in Oregon City, and, but we all function under one church, okay? So that's uh, one, multiple congregations as part of one church. We have shared leadership, we have uh, shared finances, and uh, you can talk with me afterwards if you're curious about more of that, and we'll be talking about it in weeks to come. But the next piece is the congregation itself, Right? We want to be live and local, have ministry engaged in the local communities, so we are here in Wilsonville to try and reach this community. Rather than have a mega church in West Lynn or Gladstone or somewhere and have, uh, try and get people from Wilsonville all the way out there, we said, no, let's, let's have congregations at the local level uh, where we are reaching our communities. Then we have this group of people. These little people go to this congregation and they gather uh, as a small group of people in fellowship and in communities. We call them life groups here at New Life Church. Other churches call those other things, but we have life groups that, that gather here. And so that's that piece. And then we have the individual disciple. That's the last picture. So over the next several weeks, we'll be talking about that, the, the, what it means for us to be one church, what it means for us to be a congregation, what it means for us to be a church of life groups, and what it means to be a disciple of Christ. But before we can get to that, we have to start at the beginning, right? We have to start with the foundation, Because if you were trying to learn uh, how to read or you were trying to learn um, 
math or something like that, you, you always have to start with the foundational stuff, the beginning, the, the start, right? If you're going to learn math, you want to learn the counting, the number line, the number system. How do the numbers work? How do they relate to one another? And as math gets more and more complex, you understand how those numbers relate to each other in more and more complex ways as you're adding them and subtracting them, then multiplying and dividing them, then you're using fractions and you're dividing fractions, and that gets really crazy. Until you're doing calculus and things that are beyond calculus and trigonometry and things with physics, but all of them are dependent on the understanding on how, of how numbers relate to one another. You can't just jump straight to the end, right? You have to understand how those numbers relate to each other, and as you get further and further along, you understand better and better how they relate, but they all are based on that. If you're learning to dance, okay, I'm going to take us out of math, so some of you cerebral people, and I'm going to put us into something physical and active, right, for other people. If you're learning to dance, you need to learn the basic step first, right? You ever been to a Zumba class or a dance class or something and you watch what they do and they go, okay, now it's your turn, and you go, nope, my feet don't do that. And so then they have to start with the basics of the rhythm and the step. Okay, first step here, then step there, then step there, then step back, then step this way, then step together, right? That's a waltz. She recognized it. <laughs> Right? So you start with the basic step and the basic step to the rhythm. And once you get the basic step down, then you can start adding variations and you can start moving on other things. But it always comes back to that basic step. You always need the basic step. It's the foundation for what you do. Now, I say that not because I'm really interested in numbers or waltz. But to help you get a picture of how important the gospel is in the life of New Life Church. The gospel is the foundation of everything that we do, and it permeates everything that we do. It has to. Everything that we do is dependent on that, and I want to show you why by taking you to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul. Paul is an apostle of God and he's writing this letter to a church in Rome and he's going to write to them about how things work, about how faith works, about how the church works. And he starts off by saying this, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. I've been called to be an apostle and I've been set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel of God. Now, I've already used that word a couple of times, and I haven't defined it yet, and so let's slow down and define what the word gospel means, okay? Because I, I think that too often we just hear, oh, that's, he takes it as gospel, right? He, oh, it's, it's a, like when, when they speak to one another, uh, whatever his mom says, it's gospel to him, right? We, we hear these words, or it's a gospel church, you might even have heard, we're a gospel-centered church. But let's talk about what does gospel mean. It comes from, from the, the word uh, euangelion, that's the, the Greek, and, and the, that word means good news. Right? So the very basic meaning of gospel is just good news. There used to be uh, Geico commercials. 
Do you remember those Geico commercials? Hey, I've got good news. Did I win? No, but I just saved a bunch of money on my car insurance by switching to Geico. Right? Hey, I've got gospel. I've got gospel. I've got good news. I've got good news. Here's our good news. That God exists and you can know him and be loved by him through Jesus. That's the good news. God exists and you can know him and be loved by him through the grace of Jesus. And so he says, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, am called to be an apostle. I've been set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, which is concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Awesome. Awesome. We are only a couple of verses into the book of Romans and Paul is already pressing in on the very foundation of our faith which says that beforehand in the scriptures the prophets who knew God had through God speaking through them told God's people he is coming. He is coming. Salvation is coming through God. The only Savior there is, is God. God is your Savior. He is your salvation. That was prophesied beforehand through the Holy Scriptures. And then, this child was born. This descendant of David according to the flesh. But not merely the son of David. He himself, the Son of God and Son of David. Meaning this is God and man in flesh. Concerning his Son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. How do we know? How do we know that Jesus was not just some ordinary man? How do we know that he wasn't just a remarkable teacher, some great magician, even a, a miracle worker or a prophet, some very wise sage? How do we know he wasn't just that? It's because after he died, he rose again from the dead. He was crucified. People hated him. Oh, sure, some people loved him. They followed him. They were devoted to him, but there were others who couldn't stand him. This man who walks around saying that he's God, we must get rid of him. And so they crucified him, they killed him. And three days later, he rose again from the dead, declaring to the world, I am, I am God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
was prophesied beforehand. Jesus came, he walked this earth as a man, and then after his death rose again from the dead and then ascended into heaven, declaring, I am God. And it is through him, it says in verse 5, through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So through Jesus, we have received grace. We've received grace. I'm going to jump ahead and cherry pick some other things in Romans so that we can understand this grace more fully. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In chapter 3 he says that this is righteousness, true righteousness, true acceptance by God for right living, not through your performance and works, not through following the laws of God to the letter, but through faith in Jesus. By believing that Jesus was not only God in flesh, but that he was the Savior as well. That he declared himself to be God through his resurrection from the dead, but that he atoned for your sin. He was the propitiation for your sin in that death. Because none can live perfectly. None can follow him, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it says in verse 23. All have sinned. The vilest offender, the mere pretender. All of them, all of them have fallen short of the glory of God, do not deserve His love. And yet Jesus says, I am going to die the death that they deserve so that they might have my righteousness. Again in Romans chapter 5, in verse 6, For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been reconciled with God, loved by God, 
because of our faith that Jesus has died for our sins. That is the heart of all that we do, and it is the heart of the letter. And so this is why Paul is talking about it even at the beginning of the letter, that this that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Through whom, verse 5, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. He says, look, we are now sent to proclaim this good news. This good news that there is one true God whom you can know and be loved by through the grace of Jesus. We are now proclaiming that and therefore because of that we should follow him and be obedient to him. This is the discipleship piece, right? We are calling everyone around the world, including ourselves, to follow God in obedience to Jesus. In obedience to Jesus. Now, there are lots of churches around the world that are telling you that you must do what God says and be obedient to God. There are lots of churches. Probably all of the churches in the world are telling you that you need to be obedient to God. But the reason that we must have the gospel as central is because apart from it, what we end up with is moralism. We end up with this moralism that, we, that says we must live this way legalistically according to the letter of the law. We must live this way. And by so doing, then we will be accepted by God. We must be obedient to God because God is powerful, because his wrath will be on us if we do not. But as Christians, we say, no, 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 no. It is impossible. It is not possible to live rightly before God and be accepted by him according to our work. It must be according to his grace. We are obedient, not because by being obedient to God, we will then be accepted by him, but we are obedient because we have been saved by him. And because in our knowledge of him, as we get to know him and be loved by him, we desire more and more to do what he has called us to do. More and more we want to know him. More and more we want to follow him. More and more we want to be like him because when we see him as he is, he is so beautiful. And why would you not want to be with him? Why would we want to be separated from him? Why would we not want to be as he is? He's so beautiful, so wonderful that the more we get to know him, the more we want to be obedient and follow him. Can you see that difference? Why we can't skip over the gospel step? We have to. We have to start there. That has to be the foundation because otherwise we read a passage like this and say, you must be obedient and go, oh, I knew it. It's a performance-based thing. Just like it was in school, I had to do all the right things in order to pass. 
Just like it was in my home, I had to do all the right things or else my parents were upset and I would displease them. And so we come to church and go, of course, I have to do all the right things here too. But no. The truth of the gospel is that we have been brought in by his grace, not by our performance, not by our wisdom, not by our good looks, but by his grace and by his love. He has said, come on in, come on in. And we can honestly say, God, I don't deserve to come in. And he says, I know. Believe in Jesus, and I will welcome you. So we have our discipleship that must be rooted in the gospel. Then he moves on, verse 7. Having set that up, he says, Now to all those who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints. Isn't that beautiful? He's writing to a church, and he says, okay, church, all of you who are loved by God and have been called by God to be saints, holy ones, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He's writing to this church at Rome, this gathering of God's people in Rome, and he's saying, oh, how I long to be with you, how I have been praying for you. How I have been praying for you. This is a, it's, a, it's a desire that he would be with him, them and sharing in blessing with them, that they could celebrate together, that they could have thanksgiving together. He says, we have a common faith and how I long for us all to be gathered together so we can celebrate and give thanks to God for the faith that we have in common. Oh, how I am praying for you that your faith would continue to grow, that you would continue to understand who God is and grow in love for Him. How I long for that, that we would all be together to do this together. And this is what the church is, that we are gathering together to celebrate all that God has done for us, the things that we have in common, this common identity of sinners who have been saved by God through grace of Jesus. That's who we are as a church. But apart from the gospel, we're merely a social gathering, some sort of a club, right? A place in which you can come and if you identify with us, you could belong here, you could be one of us. If we are similar enough that we can get along, put up with one another, we like you well enough. God's church is not like that. Clubs and organizations are like that. Places that you walk in and you must have a common affinity so that you can be together. But here, 
The only affinity that we have is that we are all sinners who have been loved by Jesus. And we share that faith in common. Look, there are a lot of churches that are doing a lot of things. And we, fortunately, are not the only church to center what we do on the gospel. There have been churches for hundreds and even thousands of years who have been following Jesus and centering all that they do on the gospel, but there are many churches who are not doing that. There are many churches who have abandoned that and they said, we're going to do something different instead. Come follow us, be a part of us as we link arms and we are going to care for one another. We're going to encourage one another, we're going to support one another, and we're going to be a really cool family. And they've missed it. They've missed it. Apart from the gospel, a church is merely a place where we share in some sort of conformity to some kind of a standard. And there are, unfortunately, even churches who are focused on the Bible who are missing this. When I was growing up, I was in a church for a while that was very big on being biblical and the way that we knew that our church was doing the right things is because it was biblical. And so for everything that we did, they could go to the scriptures and say, we are doing this because it says it right here. This is how we do eldership. This is how we do men's ministry. This is how we do children's ministry. This is how we do all of the everything. They would go to the scriptures and they would say, this is how we do. And you know that we are a good church because we are doing it right because we are doing what the Bible says. And so we would spend time in Bible studies pouring over the Scriptures so that we would understand the Bible because the most important thing was to get it right and understand the Bible. And you know what? Even in biblical, Bible-focused churches, they miss it. In the same way that Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures in search of eternal life and you have missed me. So we have too many churches today that are searching the scriptures in search of eternal life so that they can do what is right and be acceptable to God and be a community that is acceptable in the eyes of one another and they have missed the whole point. that it is by the grace of Jesus that we are brought into the church. And it is by the grace of Jesus that we remain in the church. And it is by the grace of Jesus that we follow him and relate to one another. And it is all by the grace of Jesus. The gospel is not merely a starting point that gets us into the kingdom of God. And then it's try-hard moralism after that. It is not the following, the the believing that Jesus died for our sins and then getting baptized and, okay, now you're a believer, now come be a disciple. And what a disciple means is now you have to do all the stuff. 
No, we, we are a church. We are a community. There are op- opportunities to serve. There are things that we can do for the building up of the body of Christ, but we recognize that it is Jesus' body. We recognize that at every step along the way, we must be dependent on the gospel, the good news that we can know God and be loved by Him through the grace of Jesus and the grace of Jesus alone. Not the gospel and. Not something with the gospel tacked on. But the gospel has to permeate everything that we do. You see, I... I don't have an expectation that you have to participate in New Life Church. But please don't go someplace where they have abandoned the scriptures. And please don't settle for someplace that is merely biblical. But search for a place that the heart of what they do is following the gospel of Jesus. In verse 11, he moves on and says, For I long to see you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He says, I so want to be with you, spending time together so that I can give you some kind of special spiritual gift. And I look at that and go, yeah, Paul. I mean, the great apostle Paul, how would I love to have him come to my church, spend time in my church that he might impart a spiritual blessing on us? Okay, Paul, come give us that spiritual blessing. What is it? That is that we might... That we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That's it? Paul, come on. You, You were blinded by a vision of Jesus. God spoke to you. You planted churches all. I was expecting something maybe a little bit more something than this. And yet, it's so simple and so wonderful that this is the spiritual blessing that we can gather together as believers and encourage one another through our mutual faith. What is God doing in your life? What's God been doing in your life lately? How have you seen him work? What have you come to know and learn about him? How may I pray for you? These are things that we get to talk about and do in life groups together. This is what we get to do as we spend time in life together as, as God's people, that we might impart some spiritual blessing to one another in fellowship. And if you were hoping that it would be some sort of mystical, powerful thing that we would bring in some spiritual uh, figurehead that would be imparting the spiritual blessing, that's not what it is. It's just believers getting together and encouraging one another. 
and it is dependent on the following of Jesus. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, he says in verse 13, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. You see, in, in the gospel, we are strengthened by one another's faith. But apart from the gospel, we're just a community group when we gather together. Trying to prop one another up and support one another or encourage one another in our own strength rather than saying, how has the love of Jesus been permeating your life lately? And he says, and I want to reap some kind of a harvest by, by spending time among you and hearing what God has been doing in and through you as I've been hearing about your faith. Even from afar, I have been encouraged. And now I wish that I could spend time with you and we could encourage one another in person where it would be even more rich and wonderful. And I desire to harvest some kind of uh, spiritual benefit among the rest of the Gentiles. Because in verse 14, he says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Everybody, anybody you can think of, the really smart people, the really foolish people, the really upper class people, the really lower class people, everybody you can think of, far and near, I am under obligation to them to do what? Verse 15, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. What does he want to do? What is the hope of the church? What is the hope that we can offer to our neighbors and friends? What is the hope that we can offer to the strangers that we encounter as we walk through life? What is the hope that we can offer? It is the gospel for I am not ashamed, he says in verse 16, of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, at, at New Life Church, we have some ministries that are going on. We have some life groups that are happening. We have some uh, teaching opportunities and, and learning opportunities, and we can offer you some things, but really the only thing that we have to offer here is the good news of Jesus. That's all I can offer you. It's the only thing of any real significance that I can offer you. Otherwise, you're just hanging out here with a bunch of weirdos. bunch of strange people, very flawed, but accepted and loved by God through the grace of Jesus. That's what we can offer. That hope, that mutual encouragement as we encourage one another in our faith that Jesus has saved us. As we are striving now to be more and more like him in obedience to who he is. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed 
from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Over the next several weeks, we are going to be talking about the structure of New Life Church, how we are organized, the vision for how we are organized as one big church with multiple congregations that's, that are made up of life groups, and those life groups are made up of individual disciples. And we'll talk about the importance of all of those, but I want you to notice that through them permeates the gospel. It must. Otherwise, everything else doesn't, isn't worth anything. It doesn't mean anything. It must be permeated by the gospel. And so if there is ever something that you see or are hearing or are feeling from New Life Church that doesn't align with the gospel or seems to be missing the gospel, would you please bring that to our attention? Because first and foremost and only, we want our hope, our obedience, our faith to be, the death, to be in the death and resurrection of Jesus who has forgiven us of our sins. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful that your acceptance of us is not dependent on our characteristics. That you did not love us or accept us because of how wise we were or how smart, nor how strong or brave, nor good and right. But you have loved us because you have loved us through the grace of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who are here today that they might receive that hope in Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would convict them of sin and show them what is right, that they might be forgiven of that sin and accepted and loved by you. Father, we praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.